0: Open your Bible this morning to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8, we are looking this morning at verses 6 through 12. And our prayer is that God will help us to rise up out of maybe everything we've ever heard about trumpet judgments. It's going to be, it's hard to do as I'm studying each week. It's hard for me to get up out of it, to get up out of it and to give us ears to hear what our God says to us in this passage. Revelation 8, verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. And the first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise, a third of the night. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Father, we need you this morning. We need you to meet with us this morning through the promised presence of your Holy Spirit. To give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, to give us grace that we might hear your voice as we turn to your word this morning. Father, help us not make a mockery out of what you intended this, these trumpet judgments to be for your church. A word of hope a word of comfort. And Lord, we need that. We are a broken, battered, grieving, sorrowful, struggling people, each in this room to a varying degree. And for some in this room, they may be having a good day. So, Lord, we are grateful for that. But where we, your needy children, are just overcome, feeling like life has somehow gotten off script. Restore to us the vision of the king on his throne. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we make our way now into verse 6 of Revelation chapter 8, we're not going to review a lot. We're just going to simply say we have now made our way through the seven seals. Christ has taken the scroll from the Father, executing all the eternal plans and purposes of the Father because he's the one worthy to do so. Last week, we made it to the seventh seventh seal in the scroll. He unfolded it, and it was a period of silence. And you may remember, I mean, it was kind of the question. It just kind of seems anticlimactic because the sixth seal was final judgment. All kinds of people on the earth crying out for the mountains to fall and bury them alive, for that would be preferable to facing King Jesus in his unrestrained wrath. And then seal seven opens and everything goes quiet. How? What? What's going on there? And again, it was, think to the most spectacular event you've ever seen. You're so overcome with joy and excitement. (laughs) Nothing will come out. That's what's happening there. The king has done it. The king going back to Genesis 3.15 and that serpent and the sin and and, and Satan and the world and and the dichotomy between the the seed of the woman and and, and life in this world ever since that moment. And there's a promise that the Messiah is coming and he's going to defeat Satan, defeat sin, defeat no more tears, no more suffering. We don't know how he's going to do it. But with that seventh seal, after final judgment, Those who have been sealed, those who, the end of chapter 6, who can stand in the final judgment? Those who are sealed, the church, chapter 7, church militant, church triumphant, sealed by the blood of Jesus, they've survived, and they are the covenant-making God who made a promise, yet day after day after day, I woke up in the morning, God, I don't see how you're going to do it. It doesn't look, in my life, it looks like my life has gone off script, this, that, and the other. Now we look back from here, and I close my mouth. You did it through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, through his resurrection, and his final victory over all things in judgment. It's a celebration. All things go silent because it just won't come out. And then in the transition to the next cycle of visions that's going to focus upon this time between the resurrection of Christ and his return, we have that little section there, the prayers of the saints. We, and this is where we spent the bulk of our time last week. And there in verses 3, 4, and 5, another angel came and with the prayers of all the saints. And, and the, all we wrestled with was this. Everything from chapter 5, 6, and 7 has been focused upon Jesus Christ sovereignly executing the eternal plans and purposes of God through the unfolding of the scroll. Why pray? Why have a prayer meeting at 9.30? If if he's executing everything perfectly, why pray? Answer, go and study Revelation 8, 3, 4, and 5. The God who sovereignly ordains the ends of all things is achieving them for his glory has also sovereignly ordained the means, and prayer is that means. And these prayers that the saints have prayed, Allah, chapter 6, When around the the, the throne, remember, the martyrs are crying out, How long, O Lord? Those prayers matter. Those prayers matter. They're pushing, glorify yourself, Father. Honor yourself to a world that's rejecting you. Honor yourself. Judge them as they deserve. And he does so. And verses 3, 4, and 5 tell us it's the prayers of his saints. That are, altar, that are offered on the altar, the blood of Jesus Christ. All right, we pray in Christ's name. We pray for his sake. We pray for his glory. That's not just taglines we attach in our prayer. We, we really mean that. We come and we pour our imperfect prayers, which may not always align with God's eternal plans and purposes. I know mine don't. I'm a very selfish prayer a lot of times. We're working on that, right? But we bring them on and, and the altar. Christ purifies them. The text tells us he mixes with them his own great incense. What's that? It's him, his righteousness. He pulls out the impurities, the imperfections. He pulls out the the stuff of my prayers that's unrighteous, and he makes it righteous. The stuff of my prayers that's imperfect, and he makes it perfect. And what is it? The text tells us, and he brings it to the Father. And the Father executes the prayers of his saints. That's what we talked about before we began the prayer meeting this morning. The very easy thing is at 9.30, to think, what are we doing here? You know, is this really Revelation 8, 3, 4, and 5? There's great power in prayer. And it's those prayers that transition us into verse 6. Now, the seven trumpets, the blowing of the seven trumpets. And so, it's important for us to be reminded this morning as we look at these trumpets that the book of Revelation is a vision. What sets the book of Revelation up out from all the other texts of the Bible? Elsewhere, you hear the Lord said this. The Lord said this. In Revelation, it's completely different. John looked and saw. John looked and saw. It's, it's, It's being communicated to him vastly different from most every other book of the Bible. He looked and saw. This is a vision. And so as we're looking at this vision here, it's important to be reminded that this is not like a, a story that's being told. It's not linear. It's not necessarily chronological. He's not showing, okay, the last seal, and now, now we turn to the trumpet. And this has to happen, this has to happen, this has to It's not chronological. And if you think about it, what was the sixth seal? It was final judgment. If it's chronological, that should be the end of the book of Revelation. It's over. The sixth seal was all kinds of people. King Jesus is coming in his wrath, and all kinds of people are crying, bury me alive. If this is a chronological book, well, then end it there. Why why do we press on now through these trumpets? Because the seals lead us back around. Because the seals focused upon one aspect of this time between Christ's resurrection and his return. And now the trumpets are going to serve a different purpose with regard to this period of time. Again, I go back to that illustration I used early on to try to help us understand the structure. Think about attending a football game or watching a football game on television. You have a camera at the 50-yard line about 10 rows up, and it's just straight ahead. you got a camera on the east end zone, the west end zone. you got a camera up above giving an overview. You've got a camera that focuses from the, uh, the defensive perspective, from the offensive perspective. you got one that's focused on the coaches. you got one that's focused on a star player. And at any given moment you're watching the game, it's going to cut to those different cameras. And it's not a completely different game. It's the same game. It's just showing you something that the previous camera angle didn't pick up. And with these trumpet judgments it's the exact same thing it's coming back around and saying that there's more to see more to understand in this time between the resurrection and the return of jesus christ so trumpets why trumpets well we want to be biblical about this we know that the trumpet in the bible has always been the instrument that god gives to his people when he summons them to meet with him. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. When God comes close to his people, either for mercy or for judgment, when he comes close to his people, a trumpet is blown. For instance, we see in Exodus chapter 19, when God meets with his people at Mount Sinai, the text reads, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. All right, that's what they saw. And then a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Can you imagine what a trumpet blast from Almighty God sounds like? I mean, it's one thing for you sit next to an instrument that's a trumpet. It's like, just stop. You know, it's obnoxious. Can you imagine from Almighty God when he's assembling his people, he's going to meet with them? Well, that's what we have here. And then Exodus 19 tells us Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, God answered him, and then the Lord came down on Mount Sinai. That's just illustrative of what we see all throughout the Old Testament. In Numbers chapter 10, we're told about two silver trumpets that were fashioned, that were blown to summon God's people to assemble before the Lord at the tent of meeting. In the book of Joel, Blow a trumpet, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming near. Blow the trumpet. Then, of course, Matthew 24, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So, the trumpets, why the trumpets here? We've we've got seals, and we understand that imagery. The scroll is the eternal plans and purposes of God to fulfill his promises, and so the unfolding of those, that that makes sense. Unfolding the seals is executing those things. All right, so the trumpet, well, exactly what we see in the, trumpet is to get our attention. A trumpet is intended to as we living in this time between the resurrection and the return of Jesus, right? And we've got this hard life here. The trumpet is intended to get our, t- and turn our eyes Godward. To turn our eyes upward. To look to the Lord. To look to our King. Even in the midst of all the hardships, and the battles, and the sufferings, and the sorrows, and the griefs. Until He returns, the trumpets are constantly blasting. The King is saying, turn up here. I'm summoning you to me. Fix your eyes on me, church. Woe to us if we fail to do so. And may I commend to you, because it's been true for me, if we fail to heed the trumpet call of Christ saying, Look Godward in the midst of what we're going through, it is woe on us. It's miserable. It's discouraging, it's deflating, but trumpets are used to get our attention. Trumpets are also used for a second reason, to announce God's presence in judgment, to announce his presence in judgment upon his enemies and to warn them they're in grave danger. And in light of what we see here with these trumpets, we're going to look at them more clearly beginning this week and then in two weeks when, we, when we're when we back together again. It appears that John, as he's writing this, is framing. Remember, he's seeing a vision. He's not being told, write this, write this. He's seeing a vision, and he is writing it down. John is, Spurgeon once said of John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, he said, if you could pinch John Bunyan." anywhere and make him bleed, he would bleed Bibline. And what he meant by that is this. I mean, he just bleeds the Bible. He knows God's word. He knows the message of the Bible, and it just comes through. And you see that when you read Pilgrim's Progress. You read that allegory, and you think, I've never seen God's word come to life in this way. John here, if you pinch him, he bleeds Bibline because he's, it almost appears with these trumpets, he's framing this whole vision in light of and I don't think this is accidental, in light of a previous situation, a previous episode. And he uses that trumpet call in judgment to inform what is happening here in this time between the return of Christ, his resurrection and his return. And that great event I think he's alluding to is that great trumpet blow around the city of Jericho. You see it very clearly. We read in the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 6. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war are going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the seven trumpets, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the walls of that great city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So, go back to that story. Jericho is a fortified city that stands between the people of God and the promised land. God has promised his people the promised land. He says, I'm giving you that promised land. It's occupied. You've got a problem here with Jericho, a walled, fortified city, getting through there. I'm telling you, I'm going to give it to you. You can't do anything, but here's what I want you to do. He gives them the instruction. In order to remove this obstacle that is the city of Jericho, I want you for six days to march around the walls. I want the Ark of the Covenant. This is an important component. The Ark of the Covenant to go in front. I want the priests with their seven... Trumpets to go around, seven days. On the seventh day, encircle it seven times and then blow the trumpets. What happened? The walls of Jericho, which were the stumbling block to the promised land, came tumbling down and God gave them Jericho. The trumpet blast was a blast of warning, God's judgment. You're standing in the way. Of God's eternal plans and purposes. He promises this land to His people. And you, great city Jericho, are about to be made flat because God has promised this to His people. The trumpet call is a warning of judgment. When we look at Revelation chapter 8, it's very clear that it's not accidental that we have the exact same scenario. Church at Laodicea, Thyatira, seven churches, all of y'all down here, which are representative of every church in every age, I have promised you the promised land. Eternity with your king. And the city of man stands in the way. This world which is in rebellion to me, which is persecuting you, which is tempting you to turn away, it's standing in the way. Now, you're never going to get there on your own, upon your own merits. It will only be by grace. So I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And I will bring you to myself. And I will do so by collapsing the city of man, by collapsing this world. And the trumpets are God's warning to the city of man, to this world saying, You're the obstruction between what I've promised to my people and they're receiving it. And the blow is a warning to you. Get out of the way. You better get on my side before the walls come crumbling down. And the sixth trumpet blows going back around again. Final judgment. And it will be too late. So, what do we see here? That's kind of the broad, this is what John is picturing for us. This is, he's bringing, and it just speaks to the continuity of the Bible. I would commend the whole Jericho incident was intended for this purpose, to be able to portray for us in this day, in this epoch of time, what God is doing for his people to bring us to himself. But as we turn to the trumpets themselves, and this morning we're only going to have time to look at the first four, it is imperative that we're careful to stay on track. It's Stay on the tracks, because and and you know this and I know this. I'm guilty of this failure to stay on those tracks we've just laid out and a few others has led to some just outlandish things. And we'll talk more about those in two weeks when we get to the scorpions with stingers and helicopters and all that kind of stuff. We'll, we'll get there, but I want to set I want to set it up here and say that. Let's let's lay some tracks that may help us avoid some of those outlandish things that I I think John would say, what in the world are y'all talking about? Um, So first thing, just kind of keep these in mind. One, let's keep the big picture in mind of what we've seen so far in the book of Revelation, that what is going on here? Christ on his throne, we saw it in the seals, he is gathering his church, he's gathering his people together, and he's protecting them. We're living in the world in between his resurrection and his return. And there's persecution, there's hardship, there's affliction. The world is against us. Jesus said, they're against me. They're going to be against you. And yet in the sealed judgments, he, one of the things Jesus is communicating is, but I'm protecting you. I'm guarding you. And not only that, that world that continues to reject me and persecute you, I'm judging them. I'm at work in them. And so as we continue on into the trumpet judgments, it's what Christ is still doing. He's protecting and preserving his church. Getting us to remember the conquerors are the ones to the seven churches. It's the conquerors who get the reward. Christ says, "I'm going to make sure you conquer by grace, by my power, and 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 by judging the world that rejects him." A second thing that's important is for us to remember the pattern of the book of Revelation. I'm fully convinced, and, and by all means, if you disagree, that's okay. I promise you, it's it's okay. But I don't think Revelation is linear. I don't think it's chronological. But rather, I think we get off track when we look at Revelation and we, this has to happen, okay, and then this has to happen, okay, and then this has, and then we're looking at world events and we're trying to identify what is that one thing. Meanwhile, there's a whole book of comfort and hope and peace and joy in Jesus Christ that we're totally missing. And I don't know about you, but I desperately need I need this book. I don't need the newspaper in hand trying to figure this book out. And so we get off track when we try to do that. And so as we look at the trumpets, think of these as cosmic tools in the hands of our king on his throne. And he's using it both to summons us to say, I know you're hurting. I know you're suffering. Look upward. I'm near. Your king is near. But also these trumpets are sounding an alarm. It's sounding an alarm of warning to anyone who wants to rebel against him. And I don't want to get too far out into the future, but these are the trumpets intended to warn. The next cycle of visions over this time are bowls. Trumpets are for warning. Bowls are for pouring out. It intensifies as we go. Better to heed the trumpets now while there's still time. Because once the bowls flow, there is no more opportunity. And then finally, trying to keep us on track here with these trumpets. These are not isolated one-time events. As we go through them, we're going to look at the first four. They're not isolated one-time events. These are things that have occurred over and over and over and over since the time Jesus left this earth, and it will continue until the time that he returns. This is the common lot of life in a world that rejects Jesus Christ as king. These trumpets refer to the common sorrows that are allowed to occur to a rebellious humanity. Sorrows that you will see in every century, in every place, in every time, if they continue to refuse Jesus Christ and his beauty, glory, majesty, greatness, his lordship. So let's look at these trumpets together, trying to stay on those tracks, the big picture, that we're looking at the same series of of period of time as we did in the seals, but now we're coming back, they're only intensified with the trumpets. It's a warning, and that we're not looking for, well, I wonder what one event this is, but we're looking at, The common lot of human experience in the time since the resurrection until his return. So we're looking at the first four together. And again, keep in mind, in the sealed judgment, the first four were grouped together. You had the the horsemen of the apocalypse, and all of them were a judgment that Christ was bringing upon the earth. The conquest of greed, war, famine, even the grave. And likewise, we know that the first four here go together because... In verse 7, we have the blow of the first trumpet. In verse 8, we have the second blow of the second trumpet. In verse 10, we have the blow of the third trumpet. In verse 12, the blow of the fourth trumpet. And then we didn't read verse 13. We're going to save it for next time, but there's an interlude. There's a break before the next trumpet sounds. These are grouped together, just as we saw in the seals. So let's just begin working through them together to see if we can understand is the warning of this trumpet the first trumpet we hear? Verse seven: The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now we know there's an intensifying from the sealed judgments to this, and there will be a further intensifying when we get to the bowl but, judgments. But right there, we know because do you remember in the sealed judgments? the judgments were limited to a quarter. Here, the trumpet judgments are limited to a third. There's an intensifying that, that's going on here. Now, again, not thinking chronologically, not thinking, all right, so are we in the period where they're a, a, a quarter, and now we're, no. These are constantly happening to every individual, and when an individual who's in rebellion to Christ goes through suffering, they don't know, am I receiving a quarter or am I reading, or will this be the final bold judgment and it's too late? That person doesn't know what Jesus is pointing out at any given moment. You're in grave danger. You better heed the warning now before it's too late. The intensifying just spells out for us that we need to take what God is at work doing in the world around us seriously. So we look at this, and let's make sure we have the picture of this first trumpet. There's this great blast. All of heaven and earth are alarmed. They turn and they see what? A great storm that's mixed with hail and fire. We've seen that before. Remember, John's blood bleeds Bibline. He's a man who knows his Bible. He's describing these events in in, in what he knows, which is God's word. Where have we seen this before? That's plague judgments on Egypt. This was the seventh plague upon Egypt. And in fact, we're going to see all throughout the book, these trumpet judgments, there are allusions. I believe it is, there's one I'm working on, but six out of the seven all have a very clear pointed allusion to God's judgment on Egypt. Why? Because they had rejected him as their God and they were self-sufficient Remember, Egypt was very wealthy, very proud country. I mean, look at those pyramids, look at the Sphinx. Look, I mean, you, archaeology tells us that it was a very wealthy, very self-sufficient country, nation, and, and, and it, was, it, it had God's people in bondage. And so God sends these judgments upon Pharaoh, upon his army, upon the nation as a whole to judge them for their self-sufficiency, for the rejection of him, and to set Israel free. And six of the seven trumpets, it appear, have direct parallels to those plagues. And with regard to this one, we can go back and look at Exodus chapter 9. There we read, Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail. Such had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Do you hear the echo? Do you hear the echo in this first trumpet of that very thing? Now, the question, I think, where we get off track, is this a literal thing here in Revelation chapter 8, this this mixing of fire and hail, and, and, and there's actually another element with this one, of blood? I would say this. In Egypt, it was very literal. But as we come to the book of Revelation, I think what we have here is a metaphorical portrayal. It's an illustration. Again, John is getting this vision, and he's he's, he's trying to process it. He's writing it down for the good of the seven churches, for us, and and, and he's writing as best he can what he knows, and he he sees a a parallel. He sees a connection with that, and it's how he puts it down. And so I, I commend to you that this allusion to God's judgment on Israel Excuse me, Egypt is intended for you and I in this period between his resurrection and his return to lay out before us and say, Now, you know how bad things were in Egypt. By comparison, God's judgment upon the world, Christ's judgment upon the world in this period is worse. Why? Because with this one, it's fire and hell and blood. That's what was missing in Egypt. Why blood here? Well, I think it has to do with the destructiveness of this judgment. This is Christ's warning to a world that continues to reject Him as King, Lord, Savior, and treasure. That the judgment upon your heart, your life, your soul will be devastating. And there it was limited to a particular location. It was Egypt. Now on a world that has rejected him. You can see this suffering at any time, in any place. And though we live in a world that prides itself in rejecting Christ as king, they themselves know they still can't find the hope, the joy, the peace, the satisfaction, the contentment, the life in anything here. And that's part of their suffering. The second trumpet blows. So we have have here the uh, destruction upon uh, the earth, the trees, the grass, all right, the land. Second trumpet blows. Verse 8. The oceans are affected this time. And we're told the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And then a third of the sea became blood. Or else have we seen the sea, the river becoming blood. There's an echo there of the Nile River when it was turned to blood. And a third of the living creatures in that sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. So again, we want to keep the, the big picture in view here. In the first trumpet, the earth, a third of the earth is, is destroyed. And then in the second, now it's the oceans. And it's a third and it's affected the, the sea and, 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 and the, the, the life in the sea and, and the ships were destroyed. So in the, the sea and on the land now, there's just constant sorrow and suffering because our king on his throne is pouring down these judges. And they're a trumpet. He's blowing. He's warning. He's alarming, saying, You're, you better turn to me while there's still time. But there's sorrow and suffering even in the waters. Now, keep in mind, John qualifies this himself. And this goes back to are these literal things or are they metaphors? John himself, I think, helps us here. He says, Something like a great mountain fell into the ocean, fell into the sea. Uh, he himself is saying, Don't take me literally on this. I'm not telling you I saw a mountain. I'm not telling you I saw fire and hail and, and blood. I'm, I'm telling you I saw something like this. I'm using what I know from the Bible and say, it's like that, but far worse. And I saw something like a great mountain fall in, into the sea. So now in these judgments, land and now ocean have been affected by the judgments of Christ. Where are you going to go, person who rejects Jesus? Where are you going to go to find the joy, the happiness, the, the uh in your time of sorrow, in your time of grief, where are you going to find hope? You can't go to the land. You can't go to the water because there's sorrow there. And, and, and throughout the Bible, the, the, the picture of a mountain falling into the ocean is a picture of sorrow. We can go and look at Psalm chapter 46, verses 2 and 3. There the psalmist writes, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved, into the heart of the sea, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at his swelling. Now, nobody reads the book of Psalms and reads Psalm 42 and says, ah, man, many mountains literally fell into the waters there. You know when you read Psalms that that's a proverbial expression for devastation, for turmoil, that the sea is turmoil, it's suffering, and it's going on. Furthermore, throughout the Bible, great mountains often are symbolic of pagan nations falling into the sea, destruction, chaos. It's a picture of judgment. The world that wants to rebel against Christ as king, Christ is on his throne, and he's blowing his trumpet. There's sorrow on the land. There's sorrow in the sea, on the ocean. There's a third trumpet. And now the fresh water on the land is affected. Land, sea, And now fresh water on the earth. The third angel blew his trumpet, verse 10. And a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water. Because it had been made bitter. Now, Wormwood is is an herb. It's a very bitter herb with a strong taste. In fact, again, I, i never experienced it, and it brings death if you get enough of it, so I hope I don't. But what we read is that it doesn't take very much of it. You can put a very little bit in a large body of water, and it will pollute it. It is that strong. And you ingest even a little bit of it. It will begin the process of bringing much suffering, and if you get enough of it, it can lead to death. So what in the world is he talking about here? Is it, again, is this a literal thing that the, uh, a third of the, uh, the, the, the fresh water supply on the earth is going to become poison? And I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I mean, God's able to do whatever he wants to do. And, and, and I'm not trying to put him in a box and say, God, he's not going to do this. He will. I'm just simply saying, in keeping with the flow of revelation and its, how it fits into the broader context of the Bible, I think what we have here is very similar to what we see in the book of Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 9 says this, Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts. This is God speaking through Jeremiah. Behold, I will feed this people with bitter food and give them poisonous water to drink. I will scatter them among the nations whom neither they, they nor their fathers have known and I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them. Now, there, Jeremiah is announcing a literal poisoning of the waters. So again, I go back. Is God saying he's, it's not literal? He, obviously, he can do it. I just don't think that's literal here. But we do go back. Obviously, John has this in mind here, a direct judgment of God upon Israel because of their direct idolatry, because of their uh, turning away from him as their one true God. And so the image of this third trumpet... Draws from that, just like the, the, this is the one that doesn't have a direct connection, if you will, to the plagues in Egypt. But this one draws from that. And, and simply saying that God bringing judgment upon a world that's in rebellion to him, he will take the things that this world says, I have to have this. I have to have, it can be an object. It can be a sin. It can be anything. I have to have this to be happy, to be content, to be satisfied, to be whole. And God in judgment will take that which seems so necessary to life and it will be to their destruction. He takes this tool, the waters, and poisons them right, in Jeremiah, as judgment. And likewise here to a world that's in rebellion to him, the thing, just like, what I have to have it? This thing, this object, this person, this sin, I don't care about King Jesus, what he says, I have to have this, I want it, I'm going to do it. This third trumpet here is now, those things become a weapon in his hand against those who try to use it. talk about that more in just a moment. And then we come to the fourth trumpet. Land destroyed, oceans destroyed, fresh water on the earth destroyed. Where are you gonna go? Where are you gonna go in times of sorrow? You're trying to find something to make you whole, something to bring life, something to bring joy. These all three things have been made tools of sorrow. Is there anything left undone? The fourth seal. The fourth trumpet blasts. And the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be cut from shining. And likewise, a third of the night. So now those objects that produce light, that we need to guide us. Even when the sun goes down and it's dark outside, that bright moon, it gives you a little bit of light. You're not in pitch black dark. You got some light to guide you. Now they're darkened. And I would commend to you that with this fourth trumpet, we have a direct parallel with the ninth plague of Egypt. You'll remember that total darkness. The skies went dark. And God's judgment there in Egypt was localized to them to make Egypt, which was what so self sufficient so rich, so powerful, we need nothing, we can do anything on our own. Let's turn out the lights, and let's see what you can do then. It was meant to humble them. It was meant to expose them. And and the God that they worship, the uh, 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 raw God, I think it is, the God of the sun, let's see what help he is to guide you when the God who created the sun, the moon, the stars turns out the light. All of a sudden, those things, the God of Ra, or whatever they thought would be their guide, was exposed to be poor guide. They were dwelling in darkness. And that is drawn by John here in this fourth trumpet to say that this is another alarm that Christ is sounding to a world that rejects him. You're trying to find something to guide you in this life, to give you hope, to give you direction. I'll turn off the lights on that thing that you're looking to to guide you. And then where do you turn? It's exposed for what it is. It's an idol. And so these four trumpets that are blown again are intended by God to sound the alarm for the church Look up, look up, look Godward, because you're going through all these hardships, just like the unbelieving world is. Now, it's not for the same reason, but for you and I, the trumpet is an alarm that says, look up, your king is on his throne. The story has not gone off script. There is hope. And for the unbelieving world, the alarm is a warning, you're in imminent danger. You've been through past experiences of Christ's judgment, and it affected a quarter. Again, we're not one, two, three, four, you, one, two, three, four, you. Not that. It's just it was limited. But the more you betray your king, the king, you'll turn the, turn the intensity up and know that there is a max volume. But when it reaches that, it's too late. So city of man. Repent while there's still time. So let's try to land this because uh, I don't know how effectively I'm, I'm, I'm bringing all this together for you, but here's where I found myself middle of the week last week. I'd done the exegetical work, and I was still working on it, but I, I had the broad structure in place, and I had to put my, my pen down because I was like, what? Uh, wh- wh- what do we do with this? What, what, what's the takeaway for us as a church, for me as a man, as a husband, as a father? How do these trumpet judgments inform our lives where we are this morning? Again, we've gathered here this morning for fellowship with our king. We're not perfect. Some of us, maybe our situation this morning was, I woke up, didn't even put my feet down on the ground, and I was already defeated. And you had to drag yourself out of bed. I don't know what your motive was, but you had to do it. And so, how does... These trumpet judgments minister to us. Well, a couple things. First, these trumpet blasts demonstrate for you and I, Christian in this world, until he returns, that Jesus Christ is in heaven right now. He's on his throne. He is ruling over every aspect of creation. And he's ruling this way. If you had any thoughts of turning your back on your king, the trumpets, where are you going to go? Because he's brought sorrow on the earth, on the ocean, on the waters, and on the, the guides, the lights in the sky. Again, not literal. He's saying those are things that people turn to We're fixing to go to the beach, the land. The land provides food. It provides jobs. It provides, he's bringing judgment and famine on the land. The land's not going to satisfy you completely. The waters, like I said, we're fixing to go to the beach. We're going to have a great time. But it would be folly to move there just because, well, the ocean, man, it completes me. It fills me. That would be idolatry the same struggles and hardships we bring to the beach with us this afternoon, they're going to be there on the beach with us. And the rivers, the streams, what we, the life, we have to have fresh water for life. If you go to try to find life in something other than Jesus Christ and find it in something, someone, some sin, he will use that as a tool for your destruction. And if you're going to try to find some guide other than Jesus Christ, and His Lordship over your life, what good is that going to be when He turns out the lights on that guide? You see, for you and I, because I've had this discussion in my mind, I'm not proud of it. But, good, Jesus, what good is it to follow you? Because I look at my life, and it's far from what I thought it would be. The trumpets say, where else would you go? The reason this world will never satisfy is because I'm on my throne. Your problem, specifically to the lost world, you don't want a king. And you are an idol factory, so you're trying to find, you're trying to create your own God with you at the center and all these other things. But the trumpets remind us. I've covered the gamut of creation, land, land, waters, fresh waters, the sky above. There is no place, if you turn your back on Jesus Christ, where you're going to find rest, where you're going to find hope, where you're going to find lasting satisfaction. Because all of those things are being used as a cosmic tool by Christ to judge the world that rejects him. So, These four trumpets are a grace of our king. Oh, woe to us. We've made them about some ludicrous things when they've been intended all along. A summons from our king. Oh, don't turn your back now. Look Godward. You hear the trumpet? Do you see what awaits those who reject my kingship, my lordship? Do you see what I'm going to do? Yeah, The world that you live in, yes, it's hard, but remember Jericho? They stood in the way of the promised land. You've got all kinds of hardship and affliction. Use that as an illustration. Hear these trumpets. We're going around seven times. See what I'm going to do to this world in order to bring my people to myself. Don't turn from me now. So let me go back to what I opened with. If I'm understanding these trumpets correctly, There are summons from our king to hear him, to see him on his throne, to build a worldview that sees things are not always how I perceive them to be. Then, when I turn on the news, and it's bad report after bad report after bad report after bad report, that's a sermon to you and I from our king. That's not chaos running amok. That's our king on his throne exercising restrained trumpet judgments on a world that's rejected him. You don't want to turn from him. Or when that phone call comes in and the voice on the other side is in tears and the message they give you shatters your world. Whatever that is, someone you love has passed or is sick, whatever the case may be. That phone call is a preacher from your king. It's a trumpet blast from the throne saying, that is not just some chaotic event. Your king is on his throne. That is his trumpet judgment on a world that's in rebellion to him. And if, truth be told, keep reading the trumpets, if they continue to reject him, they deserve much worse than that. Man, that's hard to hear, isn't it? But it's a preacher from the king. The misery we wake up with in the morning, we wake up, and I just don't even know this morning if I can get out of bed. Life has no purpose. I'm struggling. I just, I don't get it. Revelation is helping us build a world. That's a preacher from Christ saying to you, blowing the trumpet, look upward, look Godward, because you're looking at, here's you, there's the, the city of God, there's eternity. And you're looking at the world, the city of man, Jericho, right there. And it is deflating. It is, there's no way in the world you're going to get there. Because our enemy, the world, Satan, my own sin, I will never get there. And it's no wonder I don't want to get out. I'm discouraged and deflated. I don't want to get out on the board. Jesus is blowing the trumpet saying, look up. The one who is worthy to take the scroll, he's on the throne and play that thing backwards. What made him worthy? His life, death, his resurrection. That is the declaration of victory over the city of man. It's a preacher from our king. Look to Jesus and don't give up. The emptiness you go to bed with at night. I, I failed again. It was a wasted day. I struggled. I sinned, this, that, and the other. It's a preacher from Christ saying, yeah, you did. And woe to you if you don't look to Jesus. If you continue in that, continue to turn away from your king. But look to Christ. Turn to him. And in him is the hope. All these messages, these trumpets being blown from the throne to the world, to the church, they're saying the same thing there is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. Nothing in land, nothing in ocean, nothing in sea, nothing in in the stars, nothing in you. Outside of Christ, there is no hope. And what a kindness of Christ to preach like this to us. Because you're probably more mature than I I'm stiff-necked. I'm hard-hearted. I'm stubborn. All those descriptions. And so this morning... I think the takeaway is this, if you're here this morning as an unbeliever, and maybe you don't even qualify yourself as an unbeliever, but if in your life you have never repented of a life of rebellion to King Jesus and to a life of surrender to him in his lordship, his beauty, his majesty, his kingship over you, if you've never turned off all other things and turned to him, repentance and faith, then this morning you need to know your flesh is lying to you. Your flesh that is telling you, ah, my hope is in something else or someone else, or I've got a guide, or this is where my, this thing, or this lifestyle, or this, that, or the other. Your flesh is lying to you. Those around you, anyone who's encouraging you to say, listen, man, you," I, I hear, I can appreciate, I respect, you're a Christian, but look, I'm looking at you, you're miserable, listen, I, I Maybe it's time to try something else. Turn away. They are lying to you. If it's a family member, they're lying to you. If it's your church, they're lying to you. Sin always equals devastation, destruction, and death. That's where the judgments are pointing us. But Christ is gracious to say this. He says that, but I'm merciful. Go and look at Joel chapter 2. We don't have time to look at it this morning. Chapter 2, verse 1. God lays out, here's who I am. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's who God is. God loves to turn away from the judgment. He's pouring out upon a people who's rejected him. He loves to relent from that. Now keep in mind, someone's still got to pay. But he loves to turn the judgment away from those who deserve it. Put him on his son Jesus for his glory and for his good. The trumpets are blowing this morning. If you're here as an unbeliever this morning, the bowl judgments are coming. It will be too late. You never know when the trumpet judgment of God turns into the bowl. But right now, while there's time, repent. It is madness to think you can live in rebellion to Jesus And get away with it. Yes, he is patient, long-suffering. He is gracious. He is merciful, slow to anger. But do not mistake his mercy for weakness. And to the Christians in the room this morning, don't forget why this book was written. It really wasn't even written for unbelievers. Unbelievers can look over our shoulder and glean from it, but this was written by God to Christ to John for the churches. The seven churches. This was written for the seven churches and for you and I. It was written to give us a worldview, to think rightly in this time, this hard time between Christ's resurrection and his return. While we, the church, are on a battlefield, surrounded by our temptations, surrounded by the enemy, surrounded by our own sin nature, surrounded by our sorrows, our guilt, our shame. Maybe this morning that's exactly where you are, surrounded by that. And then we turn to this book and we see these terrible judgments poured out. It's not intended to pile on and make you more miserable when you leave. If if you leave here today miserable, I, I have failed somewhere. The intent of these trumpets is intended to teach us. Oh, imperfect, broken child, your king is ruling over this broken, rebellious world. And as we follow the flow of these trumpet judgments, it's hard, but he's making all things right. You remember where the seventh seal opened up or closed out? That silence, he did it. Can you imagine when we get to the end of it all and we've been brought through the city of Jericho to the eternal city? The king did it. I sat there at that church on July the 8th, and man, I was miserable. I was so broken. I was discouraged, and I just, I heard Jake talking, but it just went in one ear and out the other, and I didn't see it. I didn't get it. I'm not even sure he even knows what he's talking about. But good Lord, oh great God, I see it now. You did it. You did it. You knew. The, the story didn't go off script. You knew what you were doing for your glory and for my good. And our lives are not a play that's gone off script. God is at work. Did you know 1 Corinthians 3? Paul warns if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy. But he's not talking about bricks and mortar. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy. Talking to the church at Corinth, and you are that temple. You may be struggling to, God, are you there? Are you on your throne? Do you even love me? The book of Revelation is the most practical book in the whole of the New Testament. Because from the beginning, it has been, Christ walks among his churches, he's tending them. That's an act of love. As he walks among these churches, he's sending messages to them. That's an act of love. Brothers and sisters, sometimes in those messages, he had a hard thing to say to those churches. That's an act of love. Sometimes he had to get in their face and confront their compromise with the world. That's an act of love, calling them to repentance. Christ taking the scroll and opening up, executing the judgments of God upon a world that persecutes the church. That's the love of Christ for you. Oh, so many of us are believing a lie. We just sang Revelation song. Worthy is the one on the throne. The hard part is taking that song and taking it out of here with us and making that the flow. I believe the trumpets help us to do that. It gives us that worldview. It gives us that perspective. Now may God give us eyes to see and ears to hear.